Keep your eye on the donut, not on the hole. What's up, y'all? Welcome to Requiem for a Tuesday. It's your boy, Adam Pecora here. Thanks for tuning in. Opening on a somber note. Today, I just read the tragic news. Well, tragic. He was 85 years old, but Angelo Badalamenti passed away today. Musician, composer, famous for Twin Peaks and, you know, all David Lynch movies, pretty much. Uh, Really made some amazing, unique stuff. Inspired myself, Justice. We have a bunch of Twin Peaks related and tribute songs that match the sound that he is very famous and known for. These ethereal, otherworldly, groovy, hard to explain, but there's something odd yet incredible about them. A lot of great scores, just a very talented, excellent man. Rest in peace, Angelo. You will certainly be missed, but never forgotten. Uh, I'm not good at shit like this, so you get the gist. It's just like, man, David Lynch is pretty old himself, so things are going to be sad. Anyway, let's try to move past it. You know what I mean. That doesn't sound good either. How do you move? See, that's the thing. How do you change the topic from something like that? I don't know. Just felt wrong to not say something. Even if that something was ineffective. All right. Transition. Plugs. Rate. Review. Subscribe to Requiem for a Tuesday, please. Apple, Spotify, you name it. Those two mainly, though, need to get the subs up, need to get the rates up. Do it all. We're closing in on another exponential growth year, which was the goal. I think we actually didn't hit it last year until later on, Uh, but we're in great shape to hit it on time this year. So even better, doubling up year over year. We'll see how that goes in 2024, but loving it. Keep up the great work. Give me some reviews and rates and whatever. Share it. Do your thing. Multiplex, Wolf X. Check out the music. Available streaming everywhere. Also on Bandcamp. Send us $200,000 for one of our albums. I dare ya. Wouldn't that be a fun joke for you? Right? Is that how rich people get their rocks off? Like, ah, I'm just gonna just gonna give somebody a quarter mil. Anyway, do stuff like that. That would be great. Everything's linked in the description below. You can get the merch for the podcast at rfat.bigcartel.com. You can follow me on Instagram at adam.rfat. That's R-F-A-T. Link tree slash rfats. Got all the goods. You can find all the links in the description below, as always. So... I wanted to tell a little story before we get into the White Lotus Season 2. That's right. I watched something I said I was going to watch, and we're going to talk about it on time on the show. Isn't that great? Look at me doing my job. Who would have thunk it? Anyway, tried to order some food over the weekend. Nothing crazy. You know, local spot. I could name them. I won't name them for when this podcast inevitably goes global because their food is still good. Anyway, local Chicago joint wanted a burger. I wanted a mother-in-law. For those of you who don't know, I only know this because of Anthony Bourdain. It's not really a thing, I guess, because, you know, where can you even find it? Never heard of it before or since, really. Uh, It is a tamale on a hot dog bun with chili and I guess all the hot dog fixings as well. That's at least how this place does it. So that's how I ordered it. As well as food for others. This was a three person effort. We were all very hungry. We were drinking. Excited to just pig out. 
Uh, it was actually to watch your mom's house live, which was great. And so, you know, you get your ETA, like, oh, it'll be there around nine. We're like, all right, cool. Then there was no, like, direct tracking, which is fine. I think that that's kind of crazy that you just be tapping into driver's GPSs and watching where they go. But, you know, whatever. I can see the argument either way. And, okay, so we're it's getting closer. It's a little after 9, and I'm like, all right, maybe, you know, this person's just not a notifier. That's happened before, so I just keep checking. Check every, you know, 5, 10 minutes. Is it down there? No, no, it's not down there. All right, you know, whatever. What can you do? Must still be on the way. And then we get a call, and I'm like, oh, great. You know, food's here. Whatever. Um... My girl answers the phone. She's like, uh, hang on. And I'm like, what? So, you know, immediately I'm like, oh, the guy, you know, needs directions. Side roads get a little, you know, a little wonky. All the weird angles and such that I'm dealing with in my neighborhood. But quite the contrary. I get a sassy Latina. (laughs) And she goes, You're out of our delivery range, but the food's ready. Come get it. Uh, And I don't think it was said much nicer than that. Maybe left out a couple words here or there, but that's basically what the message I was given. Uh, And I'm like, well, I've gotten delivery before, so we're in the range. I'll get into that in more detail in a second here. And after that, I was just like, and I'm not coming to get it. (laughs) Not only was I drinking, so even if I was of ownership of a vehicle, could not have gone to pick it up. Um, Taking a train or a bus to pick up food, not ideal. Probably won't get it home in time, especially in the winter. Uh, Not that either way I would have done that. And she just goes, oh, well, then I can give you a refund. And I'm like, yeah. And then a hard buy hangs up. Let's analyze this situation, please, shall we? Okay. So first of all, the claim that I'm out of the delivery range. First of all, as I said, have delivered. Have had it delivered before to this very same address and the restaurant, as restaurants tend to be, was in the same place that it always was. To add on to that, it's about a mile and a half away. It is an eight minute drive. It's a 35 minute walk. Which, you know, you're not going to walk hot food. I understand that. Um, But it would take about 12 minutes on a bicycle. Maybe 15, depending on your luck with lights. Or how skilled you are at biking. So it would take me 15. Regardless, um, even if that is somehow not within your range. If you've already made all the food, maybe you make an exception. And you drive eight minutes. Just a thought. So there's one solution to that problem. But also just an absurd claim. Uh, Number two, if your system works properly, it should know what's in the range. So when I enter my address, it should tell me that I'm not eligible and not even let me order. Or even if the system's that weak and you get all the way to checkout. Maybe it should uh, notify me. Hey, sorry, can't process, not in delivery. That's fine. It would be annoying, but that would be fine. Or number three, hey, how many, how many steps do we have to go through here before we realize whatever this problem is? Okay. Number three, you receive the order. 
you see that it is for delivery and you see the address. Maybe don't make the whole fucking order and then demand me to come pick it up. Maybe call me then and say, hey, sorry, would you like to do it this way? To which I would say, no, sorry. Point being, am I out of the delivery range or did something happen to where y'all fucked up and don't have somebody to come do it? Seems like that's probably the case. Because even if you had a person, like I said, yeah, I know this is out of the range. We made a mistake accepting, you know, whatever. Let me know. Hey, don't do it again because, you know, we don't want to deliver over there. Fine. But to have the audacity (laughs) to be like, hey, we fucked up, asshole. You going to come fix this problem? It's like the, the fact that the... The attitude was brought on to me. All I did was give you business that you offer and was not told that this goes against anything that you offer until you already chose to make the full order, which, by the way, maybe they didn't even do. Who knows? But how could you have that much of an oversight and then try to blame me? You know, it's like I ordered delivery for a reason. I think I said that, too. I mean, I still am flabbergasted. Like, as I bring it up, I just can't even put, can't even get it to spin around in this little brain of mine. I I don't know how you think that that would be acceptable. Because also, let's say somehow I'm that, I give in that hard and I'm just like, oh yeah, no problem. I paid a delivery fee I tipped the delivery driver who gets do I get that money back how do we work that out you're gonna refund you know what I mean they probably could just refund for those things but they probably wouldn't have that wasn't in the cards I bet so couldn't believe it got dominoes instead like the classy broad i am and it was pretty good shout out dominoes you know what dominoes did by the way actually let me get an exact exact number here one second the dominoes is the same distance away it's actually just down the street from the other place hmm Funny how that's not in the range. I have also definitely ordered from places that are like four to six miles away, which is crazy. And I think it's crazy because how are you even going to get that here hot? And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Uh, And sometimes, you know, you just want a thing and the app auto chooses or only lets you choose from a location that's further away than one that you know is closer, and it's like, what the fuck? Regardless. What the fuck? (laughs) I mean, I have no other words than that, really. How the fuck does that happen? Anyway. I'm, I'm glad that they wasted all that. Because that's fucking stupid. The gall. Not even in an apologetic way. It was like, well, it's ready for pickup. Come get it. I was like, uh, who the fuck are you talking to? Like, what? You made a fucking mistake and now you're mad at me? I don't think so, lady. Regardless of just basic customer service. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if it was somehow my mistake, you still don't call me fucking angry. Like, you have some kind of power over me. What the fuck are you going to do? You know? What, are you going to not offer me a refund? Like, I can't just file that claim real quick and get it anyway? Like, who the fuck? Anyway. Can't believe it. You don't know who you're dealing with, lady. You know what I mean? So... 
Just wanted to get that off my chest. <laughs> All right. Let's move on from that fucking disaster. Next up, real quickly, before we get into the nitty-gritty of the luxurious. Uh, 21 Jump Street is on Netflix again. I rewatched it. Boy, does it hold up well. 10-year anniversary. Who I don't know exactly when it came out, but it's fucking December, so it has to have been 10 years ago. Man, that movie fucking rules, and I forgot just how stacked the cast is. I mean, Brie Larson, Little Jake Johnson, early Johnny Pemberton, all these like tiny little parts in there. Forgot Johnny Depp makes an appearance. Rob Riggle's in it. That I remembered, of course. He's very central to the cast. Uh, who else? I mean, the list goes on and on. It's still funny. The pacing's great. They really, basically, they just put actual real thought into it. They're already ripping apart how reboots are stupid. They're making fun of every, like, it's all self-referential to how the whole movie, like, the concept of it's kind of stupid and sucks. Uh, it's great. Everything about it is great. I would say the one nitpick on a rewatch is just like, man, these guys are this bad at being cops. You know, it's like the dynamic was supposed to be like one's dumb and one is physically incompetent, but they neither of them are really that good at being cops. <laughs> you know what I mean? They kind of just make all the wrong choices and can't handle any situation. A lot more noticeable now, uh, but that's fine. I just love that movie, so I just wanted to point that out. Go watch 21 Jump Street. It's back. It's fucking awesome. Ice Cube's phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, I just really love that movie. 22, kind of disappointing, good for a sequel, but, you know. It's very sad that they didn't make MIB 23, which was going to be them joining Men in Black. Would have loved that. Very bizarre choice, so I get how it didn't happen. But, man, I was excited at that prospect. Died rather quickly. Uh, you know, early Phil Lord Chris Miller, too, before the Spider-Man jump, and now they're fucking enormous. <sighs> but, yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm looking over this cast, too. I forgot a bunch of people. Like, there's so many fucking people in this movie. Dakota Johnson, and she's barely in it. She has like six lines, but she kills it in the brief little part she's in there. Uh, Nick Offerman, how do I forget him? Ellie Kemper, I mean, it just goes on and on. Chris Parnell, DeRay Davis. It's amazing. Uh, you know, Franco's amazing in it. Dave, don't, you know, let's not get crazy. Uh, <laughs> And there's been talks on there being a third one. Who knows? Who knows if they'd even be in it? Uh, there's supposed to be an all-female one. Who knows if that's a thing? Uh, but I, I, it's a shame that this didn't continue, really, because it was fucking great. Made a lot of money. Uh, the sequel made even more money. I get it's probably hard to get Jonah Hill. Maybe he's just not even interested in doing it. Maybe Tatum doesn't want to. Who knows? How do you get them all? I don't know. But uh, it was a. it's a beautiful movie. I think it's perfect. Maybe not perfect, but you know what I mean. As far as a comedy based on a TV show goes, like, couldn't get any better than this. Uh, there's plenty of references to how they're too old to be in there. All this shit. It just all makes sense. So, uh, my one other note would be the part that doesn't make sense is like Channing Tatum was obviously cool in high school, right? Jonah Hill was not. Now the whole thing is, oh, now that we're undercover, the roles are going to be the same and the roles reverse. And that's the whole dynamic of the thing. I guess what I don't understand about it is, is like, 
Channing Tatum is initially, well, he stays this way. This is the problem. But he's initially very salty, like, oh, why is he cool? Why am I not cool? That this isn't cool. Like, I, I don't know how to jive like this, right? But then, like, even as he gets to know them more, he doesn't like them. Like, he doesn't like the cool kids. He doesn't understand them. They don't get along. So it's like, yes, he wants his status to be a cool kid, but immediately realizes he doesn't fit in. And then when he's with the nerdy kids, they get along great and have a ton of fun. So just what doesn't make sense to me is like, why why would he stay upset that he's not cool? I get that Jonah Hill starts acting kind of different, but also like the whole thing is like they're older and mature now, which, you know, whatever. Clearly they're not, and that's part of the joke. I'm just saying. The conflict didn't need to stay the whole time. It could have just transformed into what it ultimately did transform into in addition to him being upset. It's just that Jonah Hill gets sucked in and is taking it way too seriously. He's lost in the sauce, you know? But uh, just one little nitpick there. All right, moving on. To beautiful Sicily. Let's talk the White Lotus season two. What a fucking show. God damn. Uh, I thought that season two was astronomically better than season one. And I very much enjoyed season one. Um, the main plot of season one. Well, main plot. Anyway. <laughs> season one is more focused on the general theme of wealth whereas in season two wealth is just kind of implied and it's really just about sex no matter what the show's about power dynamics um the first season just included you know it was there's the theft and oh i'm with this rich family and i'm a woke girl and blah 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 <laughs> and it was just all about the status of everybody uh the couple constantly complaining it was a lot more chaotic season one was just chaos everybody was fighting with each other the whole time and there's plenty of fighting in season two but i don't know what i'm really trying to say i guess my point is is that i found season one to be a lot more tedious of a sit but it was a lot because it was a lot more intense. Everybody was angry at everybody. There was a robbery. There was this. The guy doesn't get his room. Nothing ever works out. And then they're like intentionally sabotaging it because he's a dick. And everything just escalates and escalates. And it reaches this like boiling point at the end. And it all surmises there. Is that the right word to use? I don't know. Uh, whereas in season two, the whole time, it's just kind of like, where's all this going? Uh, which kind of happened in season one, like in both, you know, it's resulting in a death of some kind and you don't know how it's getting there. And the show does a great job of making it seem like it could really be anybody, especially in the first season. You just constantly trying to guess who it is to where there are certain plot lines, like don't even seem like they're going that way. And then all of a sudden they do. And then a character behaves in a way that you don't think that they're going to behave like all of a sudden. And you just are always on your toes, kind of constantly wondering where it's going. And it was riveting. But like I said, the characters are so tedious and annoying <laughs> intentionally, but kind of would be a frustrating watch at times for me um as i've said many times like if you make something genuinely annoying it's not entertaining it's annoying now this show doesn't reach into that realm where you're also not entertained so it tiptoes on that line in season one season two baby it's just a smooth ride most of the way. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is everyone in this season isn't necessarily like likable based on how they act and behave, but nobody is so unlikable 
that you're like, man, I just don't want to fucking hear this anymore, which kind of happens in the first season. You know, where it's like, okay, can we cut to the other people? Or like, I'm sick. Honestly, I didn't like when Jennifer Coolidge's character was on screen hardly at all in the first season. And in this season, she's great. It's a lot more light and fun, and she's played a lot differently, and she's also not in it nearly as much, (laughs) which kind of helps. But either way, it's just different. There's just less. Everything was kind of scaled back. Uh, The staff was just way more involved. In the first season, it was a lot more of like that counterbalance where it's like all these locals are very poor and struggling and then these rich people come and just boss them around and there's the whole irony of that battle. None of that really happens in this season. Uh, Like it's referenced that all the same things are kind of, you know, what's going on there, but the staff doesn't play too much of a hand in the main plot of this. Um, And it does kind of take a little bit away like there should have been more of an opportunity there but this season ultimately is more focused you know everybody has very distinct plots they don't really try to intersect uh with other guests like the guests that they're profiling here kind of just keep doing their own thing the whole time um which i think ultimately It's kind of a balance. Like, it culminated in way more interesting episodes and storylines, but I think the lack of overlap resulted in more of a lackluster ending, if that makes sense. Um, Because it was kind of just like, well, that was all entertaining, but, like, what was the point? You know? Whereas, like, every character kind of contributed to what happened at the end of the first season. Now, having said all of that, I do also understand that there wasn't supposed to be a second season. It was supposed to be a limited, like, one-series thing. Uh, Like, COVID was more of a factor in it as well. Like, a whole... There's a whole bunch of ways to explain why things got shifted the way that they did. And they're all justified. I'm glad that this is different. Because if it were just more of the same show, why do it? So, it's weird, but like I agree with all the differences, even though they are noticeable. But I think that they all make sense, and they were for the betterment of the show. So, shout out Mike White, a.k.a. Ned Schneebly. Never forget, he'll always be Ned Schneebly to me, even though... I'm sure this far outweighs that in terms of his career outlook and how people view him. But to me, he'll always be Ned Schneebly. So, I mean, let's talk about it. We got uh, Aubrey Plaza. What more do I have to say? Uh, My soulmate... (laughs) dating back to Parks and Rec nobody has more Aubrey Plaza stock than me here's the thing the first episode of Parks and Recreation I saw was the trash removal episode and the second she was she's in most of that episode it's kind of just like a Leslie April episode and the whole show drew me in from that like every part of it but I was like who is this immediately and i have been the largest stockholder in aubrey plaza ever since and uh it's been paying out great everything has just been great all across the board she's phenomenal in this season everybody is really i wouldn't say that there's a weak spot here at all which i couldn't say about the first season um jennifer coolidge is back Outside of that, what's his name? Michael Imperioli. He's great. Uh, a lot of a lot of the other people are either recognizable or I don't know who they are. But I don't know their names, no matter what. Uh, the old guy who played Mike or Michael Imperioli's dad, he's in a bunch of stuff, but I don't know that man's name, and that's all right. Anyway, they're there with their 
So it's three generations of men, same family, grandfather, father, and son, there to meet their long-lost relatives in Sicily. From They're from the region, I suppose. That doesn't go great. And they're all fucking hookers, and none of them know about it, and it's all a disaster. And basically what gets netted out in this season is that the hookers always win. So Italy's very different than America. That I can say. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Aru Plaza is there with her husband, who's a newly rich tech bro. And they're there with his tech bro friend and his wife. Those two just cheat on each other like crazy and spend their money. And they're either both very happy or very sad. And it's not very clear. I would say that that's the best thing about the White Lotus is that it doesn't resolve really anything. Meaning, like, it shows you what it wants to show you about people, and it's kind of up to you to determine who they are, what you think of them, who's honest, who isn't, uh, shit like that. So, like... Some people are just straight up pieces of shit, and then that's pretty clear. Um, for example, ugh, do I want to spoil season finale? It just came out. Uh, but there's just like these moments where this person's paranoid their husband cheated on them. This person's paranoid their wife cheated on them. And they you never get a clear answer because you don't see what happened. They don't flash back. There's no way to really know for sure. Um, there's kind of this will they, won't they. There's things that get left unsaid. It kind of just shows just how truthful people really are with each other. And to be honest, um, the wife who gets cheated on all the time kind of seems to be the person who understands the world they live in the most. Um, she kind of knows everything's fucked and now her situation is terrible. Don't get me wrong, but she understands it and she can handle it. That's the thing. Not everybody is equipped to deal with what they're dealing with. Um, the central conflict for those four characters is basically the tech bro that is a constant cheater Gets his boy to do Molly with some hookers and then he bangs both the hookers in the other guy's room and then he gets in trouble with his wife, Aubrey Plaza. And Aubrey Plaza is like, yo, what the fuck? She kind of turns that into like, well, I'm mad at you now, rightfully so. And he's basically just like, why well, didn't fuck the hookers? And she's like, dude, <laughs> which, you know, checks out now. He is right in saying, like, well, I didn't fuck the hookers, so don't leave me. You know, <laughs> that's that's basically his best case. He's He basically is like, well, don't be mad at all. That's a little wild, you know. Your boys can get you into some crazy situations, sure. But I'd say if those situations involve hookers, it's kind of on you, you know. Especially when, like, you're on vacation with your wife. Like, your wife isn't literally gone. She's gone for that night. She's coming back, you know? Just everything about it is very crazy. Um, you could do Molly with locals in general. And then, you know, that's th that should be fine. I could see your argument there where you're like, why are you mad just because I did some Molly when you weren't here? You left me. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> and that basically just spirals into like a counter jealousy thing because the backstory is that RB Plaza's husband was like the nerdy guy in college. And then basically everybody resents each other more and more as the trip goes on and they just keep getting more and more drunk and revealing things they hate about each other. Uh, <laughs> and it's revealed that Cameron, his name is Cameron, I believe, the broy bro, would just bang Aubrey Plaza. I don't remember their names. I'm sorry. I just watched the whole show in fucking four days. I don't know any of the characters' names. Uh, Aubrey Plaza's husband 
uh, Cameron would just steal all of the girls he was interested in. He would swoop in, and that just leads to more paranoia and jealousy as he continues to act the same way and do the same types of things. And I will say this is a very relatable thing for whatever it is. Um, If you're a guy, you've probably had this happen to you. I've had it happen to me many a times with multiple different friends throughout my life who mostly are not my friends any longer. Uh, (laughs) You know, you live and you learn. For, For some dudes that it just gets their rocks off. I don't know what it is. All the people in the world, you got to pick the ones your best friends are interested to, interested in, you know. Then you try to talk to them about it and they're like, "Well, they're into me, they're not into you. What do you want me to do about it?" It's like, you know, maybe don't fuck your friends over. I don't know. <laughs> you know, never really understood that argument. But uh what can I don't know. I can also say that I've never been one to attract anybody. (laughs) So uh, nobody that's into my friends has ever been into me. So can't relate, can't comment on it. I have grown out of being the sad little boy that just pouts over shit like that. So if it were to happen again, I'm sure I'd just tell my friend to fuck off and move on. But when you're in college, man... That shit's rough, so I can see how that guy kind of held on to all that. And especially when it's happening with your wife. And I will say, big shout out to that guy, because he just confronts him and punches him in the face and tries to drown him and shit. And it's like, you know what? That's the baller move, and that's not the thing that you would have done in the past. So maybe I have to drown my friends in the future. We'll see. (laughs) Stay tuned. Uh, The other... Main plot, well, there's a couple more, is, um, as mentioned, Jennifer Coolidge's character, who's there with her assistant, who was not in season one. She's briefly there with her husband, who she met in season one. He leaves. There's clearly something shady going on. And then it seems like that just kind of goes away, but it does make a comeback. Um, The assistant... She's just kind of a mess, which makes sense, because that lady's a mess, so you hire a mess. And she meets the ni- she meets a nice guy who is Imperioli's son, and that kind of works, then doesn't work. And then both the assistant and Jennifer Coolidge get involved with these random gays that are just having a great time. And that just kind of takes that whole thing over. And that ends in a wild fashion. I'm not, I wanted to do my, see, my plan going in was I'm just going to run through the whole thing. But since the show just ended, I think that would be a mistake because I want y'all to listen to the whole fucking episode uh, since it is the feature of this. But it gets wild. And what ultimately happens is that it's unresolved because it is another thing of just mass paranoia that plays out without you knowing the truth and it's very exciting because like there's a part of me that wants to know what happened but that's great that's movie making you know tv you give give everybody everything it's a comforting thing but You know, it's just very, going back to the beginning, it's almost Lynchian. It's like, you fill in the blanks. You know what I mean? I made a painting. You tell me what it's about. I'm not spoon-feeding you all of this information. It leaves an air of mystery to it. And it's great. Um... The ultimate payoff is predictable in the moment, but, I mean, it's like 30 seconds before you know what's about to happen. So it's not that crazy. Uh, The assistant, it seems like she's being kidnapped. You don't really know. Um, I mean, she straight up is kidnapped, but you don't really know the motive behind it. That's, I mean, to me, the whole thing is like rich people are insane because if I'm traveling anywhere, I'm not getting into any of these situations with people I don't know. 
Just because I met them at the same hotel I stay at, like, that doesn't mean anything. Just because they live in Italy, that doesn't mean anything. Like, these people are just very trusting for no reason, and that's kind of crazy to me. But I guess it's kind of that, like, well, I'm rich, so nothing's going to fucking happen to me, which is crazy. That level of comfortability. Um, and then, uh, what else do we got? The other thing is really just the staff and the hookers. <laughs> That's kind of the other plot line. Uh, the hotel manager is basically just a closeted lesbian who wants to get laid. And that's it. It doesn't have anything on the level of how crucial the concierge and central he was to the story. I think that that's intentional. Just because of how the first season plays out, the concierge has to be the main character. So they kind of needed to make the concierge person have a backseat this season. Because again, otherwise it's just the same show. Like it's a formula and they don't want to follow the formula. The formula is you're seeing what's going on at this resort. But then that's it. Then we have an overarching theme that we're playing with here. Um, Characters aren't really similar. So all that's great. I love that. There was a lot of like anti-woke messaging in the first one and that still kind of carries over but it's way less aggressive right because that's the same thing so like michael imperioli's son he says great example he's like the godfather's not a great movie because the men aren't great (laughs) and it's like well yeah like this isn't presented that's the thing it's like this isn't a movie about like fuck women like he clearly treats his wife horribly in the movie That doesn't make it not a great movie, for example. Um, But it's not like the way, like, Steve Zahn's daughter in the first one. Like, they're, like, angry at each other. They're, like, miserable. It doesn't do that in this. Because, again, this one's about the power dynamics of sex, not money. So, well, I guess that that wouldn't really make a difference in that case. But you get what I'm saying. It's presented differently. It's handled differently. It's a lot lighter. It's not this like central struggle in the show. Um, but the concierge doesn't want hookers running around her nice hotel. That makes sense. But then because too many people are fucking the hookers, the hookers have to stay at the hotel and it just kind of gets a pass because the guests want them there. Um, and one of them just wants to sing. And it's like, oh, God. But then it ends up working out just fine because she gives the current pianist singer guy Molly and he has a heart attack. And then she takes over and does a great job. Gives the concierge a little finger bang that she's been looking for and everything's right as rain. (laughs) Um, Initially, as it was going on, I was kind of like, well, the one difference here is that The first season's in Hawaii, right? So it makes sense that you wouldn't leave the resort a ton outside of, like, the beach, which is right outside. So you kind of spend all of your time there. But this one being in Sicily, it's like, well, this is a lot more ground to cover. There's probably a lot more to see. It's not just, like, more of the same, if that makes sense. So it kind of seemed like everybody was spending too much time at the resort. But then as the thing went on, they kind of expanded and people started going places and that just kind of all resolved itself. So I was happy with that. Um, But yeah, it's hard to keep talking about it without spoiling the ending. Look, watch this show. It is excellent. Season one is very good. This season is even better. Like I said, it's just a lot more watchable. It's very enjoyable. This could have been more episodes. If this were 10 It would have been fine because I I wanted to see where all this shit kept going. You know, Um, my only critique would just be that. uh, So, you know, it's going to result in a death. The build up to the death just wasn't the same in this one. And the death was a little underwhelming and it just doesn't connect all the same. So that's my one critique. But I would say ultimately it's worth it for a better show experience overall from start to finish. If that makes sense. Um, season one, though, I should note the star of that show, who I thought was great, had never heard of the man before, 
was also in a show on Peacock called The Friend of the Family, which I loved and don't really have any notes for. It was an excellent show, also based on a true story. So the notes that I did have couldn't really speak on. Um, but So that's part of the reason why I didn't talk about it on here. The other reason is that it's about a pedophile, and he plays a pedophile, and he's great in it. Too great, perhaps. Um, but not really... Not really a bundle of fun. Not a lot of jokes coming out of that one. Uh, but if you have Peacock, you should watch A Friend of the Family. Um, an absolutely insane story for it to be true. There's a corresponding documentary that also just came out, which I have not yet watched. Um, but the girl who it's about, who is, you know, a grown woman now it's basically about a girl being kidnapped twice by the same pedophile in the 70s in idaho i believe it is and she starts off the scripted series by saying all of this happened to me so point is she's in the dock but she also definitely advocated and probably worked on and approved the elements of the scripted show. So it doesn't seem very exaggerated at all. My only note would be, man, what a dumb girl. She thought she was an alien until she was like 15, like too old. She was too old to believe the lies that she was fed. Look, I guess I could also say lucky me wasn't kidnapped, wasn't quote unquote brainwashed. Don't think I could be though. So I think that's the thing. Hard to say, though, when it's a kid, you know, but still, it's a little ridiculous, but it all happened, so it's just crazy. Um, some things in the show I won't even reveal, but it gets shocking, the amount that this pedophile man was able to accomplish within this family and the things that they did for and to him, not in a negative way either. They did some things to that man that he enjoyed. Let's just put it that way. The whole family. The whole family. Um, so that's just the White Lotus connection there. But check out that show, man. It's a fucking trip. It's thoroughly entertaining, though. It's a very engaging story. It's incredibly well written, well acted. Everybody involved. Like, just phenomenal. But uh, brutal. That's the thing. That's not quite a show where you watch a luxury resort. If you know what I mean? The scenery is not this magical thing. Um, but also, yeah, I guess I should just add that with White Lotus. You know, great cinematography. The music's great. Like, really just a, an amazing show in every aspect. Um, and ultimately, the thing is, like, these are just rich fucks. Going back to my likability thing. Like, nobody in it is supposed to be a quote-unquote, like, good person. You know what I mean? It's kind of like succession. Like, you root for who you root for, but it doesn't mean that you, like, like them. If you know what I mean. Like, you, you know which characters you enjoy watching, I guess is my point. But none of them are meant to be, like, oh, he's my favorite. He's nice and funny and whatever. It's like, no, everybody in the show is complex and there's things you like about them and there's things you hate about them. And ultimately, they're just rich fucks at a resort. So they wouldn't give a fuck about you anyway. They don't care about any of these people. Everybody in this, everybody in the White Lotus is using people for things or they're using their money to use people for things. And like nobody in it is ever a genuine person. And that's kind of the contrast of Aubrey Plaza and her husband to the other couple is that now that they're rich, they don't like that this is what their life is, kind of. But they're accepting it and embracing it. But they, you know, it's still t it's tough for them to navigate. Um, but no matter what, there's things to not like about both of those characters as well. Like everybody in the show treats somebody like shit at some point. Like, there is no, like, oh, that guy's great. Or they at least do something really stupid that they shouldn't. 
Nobody makes perfect decisions and choices throughout the entirety of the series. And that's the strongest thing about it. It is a truly human show in both seasons. You know, it's real to what people are like. And that's a thing that seems to be lost nowadays. Like, you know, I pretend that I'm really great on the internet, so therefore I am. And that's just not true. Everyone is complex. Well, maybe not complex, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Everyone has a diverse, uh, like, personality in how they would respond to whatever scenario and what situation. And it, I don't know. I just think the show does a great job of both... It rips on everybody. It shows the it shows that these people are stupid. Old people are stupid. Young people are stupid. Everyone in between is stupid. Like nobody has the right way of doing anything, and that's why these rich people are fucking morons. The poor people, you know what I mean? It's just whatever situation you end up in, you're probably gonna fuck up. And I don't know if that's necessarily like an idea or concept of the show, but that is how it all works out. Um, And I guess my last note is at the end of the note, the end of the the end of the season finale, Mike White does the little post show interview recap questionnaire thing. And he just does that thing that I hate that writers do. Where it's like. Oh, what happened to these people after? What happened in this scene? He just goes, you know, I don't know. I'd like to think that maybe this happened or maybe this happened. And it's like, even if you're just doing that to add to the dynamics of the show and not reveal what you truly think, because also he was talking season three already. I believe it already was renewed. So maybe there are things that he can't say because they would, go away my point is i fucking hate when writers say shit like that you know what i mean like they write a vague scene on purpose and they're like yeah i don't know what happened i would love you know (laughs) it's just like you know you made the decision you chose to make it vague but you know what went down that led to the next scene that also you're not sure of how that happened Is it because of A or is it because of B? And you're like, I don't know, but something happened. And it's like, ah, that's frustrating because you sound pretentious. You know, you thought it all through. There's no way this show could be this meticulously planned out. And the things that were left vague are vague because you just, you know what I mean? You didn't just decide, oh, I'm not going to know. I just let the characters, I just... (laughs) I just let them take me there. I didn't even actually write it. You know? Shit like that. It's pretentious and it's annoying, Mike White. Would you teach that to your 7th grade prep school students, Mr. Schneebly? In your creative writing assignments? No. You wouldn't. So just stop. Just don't include that, I guess is my point. Why, Why add that? Why ask him a question just for him to be like, Oh, I don't know. Bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> but regardless, bravo, Mike White. Bravo. <sighs> Big movie slate coming, folks. Time to get excited. Glass Onion dropping on Netflix soon. Avatar 2 coming out. Definitely going to be going over that with spoilers, no doubt. Um, There will be plenty to discuss about the fake Avatar 1 haters. The most contrarian bullshit of all time. Especially, I'm going to do it a little bit now. Especially the whole like, oh, it's just like this. Pocahontas I hear a lot um I guess some of the bones resemble that but tell me and like if you watch Pocahontas and then watch Avatar do you actually think that those were similar 
Because fuck off. They're not. But you can watch 74 Marvel movies that are all the same. Just interchangeable superheroes. Like, but that's not formulaic. That hasn't been done before. Every one of those is incredibly new and fresh and exciting. Yet somehow, James Cameron advances technology that didn't exist before to make a movie, and you claim to have seen it before. It's insane. Why? Because a hero's journey is in it? Oh boy, it's almost like no other movies use that. It's just, where's the logic? So get ready for a 20-minute version of what I just did, because that's what's coming when it's time to talk Avatar 2. Let me say another thing. The first full-length trailer for Avatar 2 came on when I was watching football, and I didn't even notice that I was in a room with anyone. The whole world around me disappeared, and I was captivated and hooked. Because if you're going to try to act like one James Cameron doesn't know how to make a fucking movie, you're a fucking retard. (laughs) I mean, come on. You're going to try to claim that James Cameron doesn't know how to make a movie or is unoriginal. Like, fuck you, man. (laughs) Christ. No, but the Russo brothers are fucking awesome directors. Like, fuck you. Unbelievable. Okay. (laughs) I got fired up again right there just thinking about it. Terminator 2, the greatest sequel of all time, most likely. I mean, you know, you got to look at the list. But still, I have no reason. That's the thing. It outdid it so much. I I have no interest in watching the first Terminator, like, ever. It's also completely different. It's kind of like a horror movie. Oh, wow. Aliens is like an action movie. He just also made the first Terminator. Look at me putting pieces together in my head. Anyway... Avatar 2 is going to be fucking awesome. I hope Glass Onion's fucking awesome. Seems like it is. From all the initial reports and everything. So very excited. We're getting to the thick of it. Award season's coming. The Whale. Gotta watch that. Brendan Fraser be fat for two hours. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Although I don't really like that guy's movies typically. Aronofsky. I don't even know if I've seen any of his movies to be honest. But they seem pretentious. So we'll see. There's a chance I don't like it, but love Brendan Fraser's performance. Seems like it's that type of flick. But lots of watch, lots to watch, lots to discuss. Um, then we're gonna get, I'm sure, Succession season three, early 2023. Seems to be the plan. Hopefully, we don't gotta wait too long. But gearing up for that, man, it's the exciting time. This is when the movies hit. And uh, I get to spend a lot of money going to theaters that I don't want to spend, but that's fine because I do it for the people. Get these numbies up, baby. <laughs> Your boy got to buy movie tickets. Um, That's it. I got to get out of here. I'm exhausted. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. So please rate, review. And subscribe to Requiem for a Tuesday, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, all the goods. They're all linked in the description below, along with the music, Multiplex. Listen to Google. It's a great record. I promise. Check it out. Give me four. Listen to four songs at random. See if you like any of them. Uh, What do we got? Wolf X, solo stuff. There's video as well. It's all linked. Check it out. Great stuff. Justice's show. Microwave minutes. I think a new episode coming soon or maybe just came out. Not too sure, but keep an eye out for all the goodies. You can follow me on Instagram at adam.rfat. That's R-F-A-T. And you can check out the merch for this show at rfat, R-F-A-T, dot bigcartel.com. As always, been a pleasure. Hope your next delivery order goes better than my last attempt. (laughs) Let me know your crazy delivery stories.
I'll maybe share them. Probably not, because they probably won't be good. I'm just kidding. You're very interesting, I'm sure. (laughs) All right. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week. And remember, I are fat. You are fat. We are fat. Calculator.